And so I'm going to read the word, let me pray, and then I'll read Galatians 2, 15 through 21. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of your scripture. It is definitive, it is objective, uh, it is decorative. And Lord, uh, help us to understand your scriptures better, help open our eyes to be students of your word, to cherish and love the word that you have given us, and give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and heart to humbly obey. In Jesus' name, amen. Galatians 2, 15 through 21. We ourselves are Jews by birth, not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ, and not by works of the law, because by works of the law no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a sin, our servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law I die to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. This is God's word. <clears throat> it would seem... Uh, that church history will kind of show uh, that scripture uh, has been the target of assault uh, throughout the years. Uh, and this was very prevalent in the early 1900s with a lot of liberal theologians who uh, denounced the inerrancy, the infallibility of the scriptures. But what always is kind of targeted uh, in that is how we are justified before God. And so, uh, Martin Luther uh, is often quoted as saying this, uh, is actually from um, a student of his who kind of carried down these sayings of Luther. Uh, but, but he says this, he says, justification is the article by which the church stands or it falls. Uh, and any variance from this classic understanding of justification indeed promotes another gospel. And this is what Paul was getting at in Galatians 1, verses 6 through 10. He says, if anyone gives to you another gospel, let him be accursed, let him be cut off from the community. Essentially, let him be excommunicated and booted from the church. And so I set the focus on Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 11, paragraph 1. Well, I want to give you uh, what the Shorter Catechism says on justification. It says, justification is an act, keyword act, of God's free grace, wherein he pardoneth all of our sins and accepteth us as righteous in his sight, 
only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. Martin Luther also warns us that if we lose this article, if we lose the understanding of justification by faith, it is impossible for us to withstand errors or sects or divisions in the church. John Calvin also says that justification is the main hinge on which religion turns, so that we devote the greater attention and care to it. For unless you first of all grasp your relationship to God and the nature of his judgment concerning you, you have neither a foundation on which to establish your salvation nor one on which to build piety toward God. Basically, what Calvin is saying is that if we don't get this right, then the rest of the building, the rest of the foundation crumbles. And so Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 11, uh, paragraph 1, it is well attested by Reformed theologians. Uh, it's scripturally supported. It's grounded in Scripture. I mean, just here in Galatians, uh, we can't, I don't want to just proof text things, but it's very clear what Paul is saying. Um, we know that Scripture isn't always clear in all things, but where it is clear, we ought to put a lot of weight into it. And here Paul says specifically that we're not justified by works. So then how are we justified? We're justified by faith. Faith is the instrument by which we are justified in the sight of God. Um, <clears throat> and we know that this justification uh, occurs in eternity past. We know that God uh, in his covenant, uh, often what theologians will call the covenant of redemption, this covenant between the members of the Godhead, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, uh, made with one another in eternity past, where Christ himself took upon uh, the duties of the covenant and the obligations to obey God perfectly, and said, I will do this for my people. Uh, and the Spirit then becomes that sign and seal of the covenant promises. And so in Romans chapter 3, verse 24, Paul writes, All who are justified by God's grace is a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So again, we're reminded that there's no human work, but rather God's unconditional love for his people, which brings about justification. Now typically what happens is we mix justification, how we are justified before God, and good works. Now, if you know the Catechism and you know the Confession of Faith, the Confession of Faith tells us, uh, differentiates between being justified on one hand and doing good works, but they're never contingent on one another. Doing good works isn't dependent upon your justification. And so we have uh, the Roman Catholic Church, for example, that does say, yes, you have to have faith, so they agree on that point, but they say you have to have faith plus works in order to be justified. So it's not faith alone in Christ. It's faith plus doing something which earns your salvation, earns your merit, earns your right standing with God. So also Arminianism uh, or Pelagianism, uh, which uh, Pelagian, Pelagian was an early uh, heresy. Uh, that was denounced in the early church. 
they also say that we must do works uh, in order to receive faith, in order to be justified. And then likewise, semi-Pelagianism, which is kind of a, a mix of it, uh, looks at foreseen works, uh, that God foresees that you will do some good stuff uh, in order to be justified. So there's always, with the doctrine of justification, something being added to faith. But Paul belabors the point, not only here, but in uh, Ephesians chapter 2 as well, uh, that we are saved by grace alone through faith. That language, through faith, means that faith is the means by which we are justified. We're not justified through works or anything else. So, um, rather than just you taking my word for it, this is what the Roman Catholic Church says about justifi er, uh, justification. And this is from the Council of Trent, which uh, occurred in 1547, um, who really stood firm on their doctrine. Uh, so if anything, uh, the Reformation really happened in 1517. Uh, the Reformation and Protestantism uh, precedes uh, Roman Catholic theology, if you want to think of it that way. And so Rome says this, in the process Keyword in the process of justification. It's not an act, but it's a process. Together with the forgiveness of sins, a person receives through Jesus Christ into, he, into whom he is grafted. All these infused at the same time. Faith, hope, and charity. And so they're adding works into our declared righteousness. Uh, Jacobus Arminius, uh, who was a, um, a, a Dutchman, uh, the Canons of Dort in 1618 refuted uh, Jacobus Arminius's followers uh, by writing uh, the Canons of Dort, which really kind of developed what we know as the five points of Calvinism now. Uh, but he says this, Christ and his obedience are the object of our faith, but not, listen to this, but not the object of justification. Arminius is saying he is the object of our faith, Christ is, but Christ isn't the object of being justified. You can see by Rome and Arminius, their, their quotes that they give, it's, it's so subtle. And, and if you're not careful, it sounds like something that you could easily agree with. If I didn't tell you who wrote it, uh, if you're not careful with how they are wording these phrases, then it sounds as if they're correct. Um, uh, one commentator writes on Arminius, he says that basically Jacob's Arminius' uh, theology, it says that God looks upon the sinner's faith as his righteousness. Again, the sinner's faith is a work that declares him righteous. That is the distinction. Yet the confession tells us quite clearly that Jesus Christ is the object of our justification. It says that we, uh, that this is accomplished, that our righteousness is accomplished by imputing the obedience and satisfaction of Christ unto them, that is, unto the sinner. Again, how is this done? Paul tells us in Romans 3, regarding Christ's redemption, uh, that God, whom God put forward as a propitiation, that is a sacrifice by his blood. And so justification then, 
is a judicial act. Uh, it's where God pronounces a judgment of the law in view of all the facts of the case, namely the view of the righteousness of Christ, uh, that the believer is regarded and treated as one in whose uh, uh, befall the claims of the law are completely satisfied. So what is he talking about there? He's saying it's a judicial act. God is a judge. And God declares that sin must be judged. And God judged that sin upon Christ on the cross. And so if God judged Christ according to our sins, then we are justified by what Christ has done for us through faith. Not anything foreseen, not anything that we could have done in order to merit that, but solely based on Christ. <clears throat> Richard Sibbs writes, By grace we are what we are in justification, and work what we work in sanctification. And so the Reformed view of justification doesn't take away good works. If you are justified, then you do good works because of what Christ has done for you. Those of you who are married know this. You become married, you enter into this marriage covenant, and because you love one another, good works naturally flow out of a good marriage. So good works should never be taken out of saving faith in Jesus Christ, uh, but it rests upon what Christ's work does for us. <clears throat> So there are still in the church today those who um, uh, purport that or, or pronounce that good works are necessary for justification. Uh, and a couple individuals, uh, and the reason why I'm bringing this up is first because it's very prevalent in the church today. It's very prevalent in the American church today. Um, but it hasn't, it's not just an issue that popped up. Uh, so James Dunn is a proponent uh, of this, known as the New Perspective on Paul. And basically what they say is that uh, Paul wasn't fighting works righteousness. That in the church in Galatia, the Judaizers were all about grace. There was no works in their, uh, in their system, in their doctrine. Uh, and Dr. Kara of RTS has written a great book um, where he challenges that notion. Uh, and many of the Jews, uh, after uh, the Maccabean Revolt, where they kind of became their own nation, had several laws and regulations in order to be saved. If you read some of the Second Temple uh, Judaism documents, it sounds almost identical to Roman Catholic theology. Almost verbatim. It's, it's eerie how close it is. And so Dunn says that, uh, he says that faith in Paul with respect to justification isn't about being declared, but it's about your faithfulness in the covenant. So that sounds great, right? We should be faithful to God in the covenant, but it's contingent upon your faithfulness. How you are justified depends upon your works. N.T. Wright as well, he says that the grounds for final justification is the believer's covenantal faithfulness. Now, <clears throat> why am I bringing this up? Because I want to hone in on 
an uh, American theologian uh, whom I love, who has brought many great things to the table, uh, but he as well had issues with the declaration of justification. And he himself believed in a final justification, meaning that uh, you live this life right now and you're faithful as well as you can be to the covenant, but you get to heaven and your good works are still brought up before God and whether or not you are finally and completely justified depends on what you did in this life. Again, it's works-based. It's based upon your works and your obedience, not based upon Christ. And this is the very issue. And so this American theologian that I want to bring up is the renowned Jonathan Edwards. Uh, he held a uh, Roman Catholic-like doctrine of justification. I know that may shock you. Uh, it shocked me when I read through it, uh, but it's very clear. And what I want to focus on again is just the simple words in the Catechism. Just the first phrase, justification is an act. Again, an act is something that is done by somebody else, not by you. What is it an act of? It's an act of God's free grace. Free grace from God. That is how it is an act. <clears throat> so, again, Jonathan Edwards, he kind of, and, and Jonathan Edwards was very creative. And, and this is where theologians who are very creative uh, can run into problems, because in their creativity, uh, they kind of mix up uh, clear doctrines taught in Scripture. And so for Jonathan Edwards, he says this. He says, love is included in the nature and essence of saving faith. Yea, is the very life and soul of it, without which it is dead as the body without the soul. And he says this again in another uh, journal entry that he had. He says, love is of the essence of faith. It is the very life and soul of it and the most essential thing in it. Now again, that sounds great. Sounds accurate. Yes, we should love. Love is a wonderful Christian principle. We ought to love the Lord our God with all our, all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and our neighbor as ourselves. But he says that love is the essence of faith, meaning you have to do something in order to have faith. And so Edwards gets eerily close to Roman Catholic doctrine. Um, he uh, really denies that justification as the instrument of our righteousness, or faith as the instrument, uh, is what he denies. Now, uh, Jonathan Edwards did not necessarily hold to the Westminster Confession of Faith. Um, in America, everyone likes to claim them. The Baptists want to claim them. The Presbyterians want to claim them. Everyone's grabbing at Jonathan Edwards saying, well, he was more Presbyterian or he was more Baptist, so on and so forth. Uh, but that's not really the, the, the issue. And so all throughout church history, on the confessions of justification, it's always identified that faith is the instrument. Faith is how... Uh, is what God uses as a gift in order for us to be justified, faith in Jesus Christ. Again, it's a gift. Uh, so the Augsburg Confession says that we are freely justified for Christ's sake through faith. Again, faith is the means. Not faith plus works, 
not faith plus love, not faith plus covenant obedience, just through faith. It's that simple. So also the Belgic Confession, uh, written in 1561, says, For faith is, the only, is only the instrument by which we embrace Christ, our righteousness. For by faith in Christ, we are justified. The 39 Articles as well say that we are justified by faith uh, only is a most wholesome doctrine and very full of comfort. And so already from 1530 to 1563, as the doctrine of justification was being attacked by Rome, and this is what Luther started uh, to uh, fight against uh, during the Reformation, amongst other things, uh, that's not the only thing, but that's kind of the main issue. Uh, others realized how important it was and began to develop more doctrine about it. And so the Westminster Confession of Faith, which we know and have read through, um, defines it as well, but uh, uh, Jonathan Edwards would have held to what is known as the Savoy Declaration. Uh, so this was written in 1658, uh, roughly 10 years uh, after the Westminster Confession of Faith. Um, many Baptists hold to this, and so out of the Savoy Declaration came the London Baptist Confession of Faith. Um, so many Reformed Baptists kind of trace their lineage to this declaration. Uh, but Jonathan Edwards, as a Baptist theologian, should have known uh, what justification is. And it's this, and I believe that this declaration is accurate. It says, Faith thus receiving and resting on Christ and His righteousness is the alone instrument of justification. So I'm going to cut out that middle part. Faith is the alone instrument of justification. That's it. There's nothing else included in it. Now, Roman Catholic doctrine would say this, that those who hold that hope and love and repentance are included in faith as justifying and concur with faith, strictly so-called, to justification. So the Council of Trent, which was written after many of these confessions but before Westminster, uh, denied that faith was the instrument, that you had to have something else in order to be justified. Uh, again, uh, in their own words, this isn't from me, but this is from the Council of Trent. Uh, it says this, that faith, unless, see there's a contingent, there's something that you have to do with it. Faith, unless hope and charity be added to it, neither unites man perfectly with Christ, nor makes him a living member of his body. Again, they recognize faith is important. But they place other things like hope and charity. When they're talking about charity, they're not just saying uh, giving money to the poor, but charity equals good works in their system. So they're saying faith and good works are what unite man perfectly to Christ. If you don't believe that, then the Roman Catholic Church considers you anathema, you're cut off. But that's not what Scripture teaches. Again, Galatians two tells us specifically. I think it's just. I think it's just crystal clear that Paul says we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. 
and Romans as well. We can we could pilfer through all of Romans until the end of the day to see the same thing uh, recognized. Even Abraham, uh, his faith was counted to him as righteousness. So it's even in the Old Testament that faith is the instrument of our justification. Now, one of the issues uh, that Jonathan Edwards uh, brings up in justification is this idea of final justification. Uh, and, and many, uh, like Edwards, like those in the New Perspective on Paul, um, or in the Federal Visionists, they see justification being added uh, with some other type of work. So with Rome, it's faith plus hope and charity. Uh, with Arminius and Arminians, um, <clears throat> they say that it's, again, faith plus works or foreseen faith. Something that you, that God looks down the corridors of time and sees something that you did, namely that you were going to confess faith in Christ and grant you righteous based off of your profession. So again, it's about you. Roman Catholic theology, it's about you and what you can do. Jonathan Edwards, New Perspective on Paul, Federal Vision, it's about how you can be obedient to the covenant. It's about you. It's not about Christ. And if Christ is our sure foundation, if we truly can sing, in Christ alone, my hope is found, then we would know that justification stands upon what Christ has done in declaring us righteous. Uh, there are several theologians uh, in the post-Reformation era, that is, kind of after Martin Luther and John Calvin died, uh, who built uh, upon this. Uh, Francis Turretin, uh, a great theologian, he says that, uh, that faith is said to justify uh, relatively and organic, organically, uh, relatively because the object of faith is our true righteousness before God, Organically, because faith is the instrument for receiving on our part and for applying to ourselves that righteousness. Christ is the object of the believer's righteousness before God. He says the action of faith justifies us, but not as an action, meaning not as if we do something, but in relation to its object, that is, Christ. Jesus. So what Turretin is saying is that the faith, the action of faith, the, the confession with your mouth, isn't what justifies you because it's an action, but it's in that relationship to Jesus Christ as the author and perfecter of our faith. Another Dutch theologian, Herman Vitsius, uh, says this, that faith alone is adapted to receive and appropriate the righteousness of Christ on account of which we are justified. Again, faith is a free gift from God. Uh, the fact that it's a gift means that you aren't the one that can do anything about it. If someone hands you a gift because they love you, you didn't do anything to receive that gift. There are times that we as human beings... Uh, whether it's Christmas or your birthday or some type of anniversary or holiday, uh, or just out of free love, that you love somebody, you give them a gift, not because of what they're going to do, uh, unless you are doing it out of a, a sinful disposition, but because you love them. A few years ago, by way of illustration, uh, I love this illustration, uh, when we were living in Tennessee, 
uh, was all over all over the news. So around Christmas time, um, not sure how it works here, uh, but everyone's familiar with Walmart, uh, the Walmart Supercenter, and a lot of people in Tennessee uh, put gifts for their children on layaway, and essentially layaway is like a you you get the gifts set aside. And then you kind of pay for them over time. And so, uh, in, let's just say in the middle of November, I want to buy my son a $200 toy. I don't have $200 right now, but I'm going to just kind of pay it off until Christmas comes, and then I can get that toy. Well, this uh, rich gentleman uh, in Tennessee went to this specific Walmart, not knowing any of the people, and paid for all of the layaway gifts. Uh, for the entire uh, community. It was something like $100,000 uh, that he freely gave uh, because he wanted these people to uh, have gifts for Christmas. And, and all over the news, and rightly so, this is a wonderful thing, a wonderful act of charity, people were praising him for his generosity, for, for his gift. Um, and no one was saying, uh, and even on Facebook, you know, we have the Facebook keyboard warriors who are always arguing about things on Facebook or social media. Uh, people were just saying, this is such a great thing, such a blessing. Wonderful that this man, out of his love, freely gave and did something for these people. Uh, now, to put it in perspective of what we're talking about now, uh, none of those people necessarily deserved any of that. They, they, weren't, and they weren't seeking somebody uh, to buy these gifts for them. But this gentleman went out of his own love and gave them these gifts. And so also faith is a gift that we are given from God, not because of anything we have done or will do, but it is a free gift. It is something that we don't deserve, but that we are given. And so again, faith is the instrumental cause of our justification. It is of paramount importance for us today. If we add things to it, we're straying away not only from the confession, uh, which isn't binding on the conscience, but we're straying away from Scripture, the very God-breathed, inspired Word of God that defines these for us. <clears throat> so, Jonathan Edwards, again, um, kind of what he talks about uh, is very similar to not only doctrines that Rome has given, uh, but also some of those issues in the new perspective on Paul, which has kind of died away. It's not as prevalent now, um, uh, but even in the PCA, uh, it's still uh, kind of an underground movement that keeps rearing its ugly head. Um, one commentator says uh, that this view of Edwards' justification has attracted more attention since Vatican II in the trend toward a new perspective on Paul than ever before in the history of Edward scholarship. And so the reason being is people are starting to see the issues. Uh, again, it sounds clear, it sounds like what he is uh, giving to us is right, but again, he's still adding something on top of faith. And this is where we ought to push back. We ought to be careful when we think of new theologians who are trying to give a new uh, insight or kind of a new doctrine or a new definition of what has already been clearly held to throughout church history. 
Again, Edwards says that love is included in the nature and essence of saving faith. It means love is something that you do along with faith. <clears throat> now, Edwards himself does say that we are justified only by faith in Christ and not by any manner of virtue of goodness of our own. So again, you can, you can see how these are very similar. And often, uh, uh, people who uh, give forth these types of heresies, they will, they will walk the walk, they will say all the right things, they will read the Westminster Confession of Faith, but in their minds, in the back of their heads, they're redefining what they mean by faith or what they mean by justification. This is why it is such an issue. This is why you have to be careful when you start to allow these people to speak on behalf of Scripture. Edwards appeals to the fact that faith is the instrument of our justification. But again, faith is an instrument because love is added to it, because there's something else, a work, that you must do added to it. This is why it's so close, it's so similar. And it seems like I'm being very, very nitpicky, and maybe I am. But again, I agree with Luther and Calvin and others who say that justification is that doctrine on which the church stands or falls. If we miss how we're justified, we miss the gospel. If we think that we do something in our lives to merit God's grace, then we have, we have foregone the gospel. We, we, have, we have not recognized that we are dead in our sins and trespasses, which the scriptures clearly teach. Uh, we deny that Christ himself gave himself as a ransom for his own, which the scriptures clearly teach. We deny the fact that God gives the Spirit as an act of free grace, which the Spirit or which the Scriptures clearly teach. And so you can see how all of this just falls and crumbles when we allow sneaky bits of anti-confessional views of justification come into play. So again, why why bring this up? Why bring this up throughout a topic that was focused on Scripture for this week? If we believe that God has breathed out His Scriptures as we do, and if we believe and have shook our heads in agreement when Pastor Florian said that the rule of faith is to search the Scriptures and those parts that are more clear, uh, use those to interpret the more difficult parts. And if we know that we're to use Scripture to interpret Scripture, and that Scripture itself gives us clarity on how we ought to be saved, how we stand before a holy God, then it is incumbent upon us, it is our priority, it is our goal to search the Scriptures and to maintain those things that are clearly laid forth in Scripture. Again, this is not my words. This isn't Martin Luther's words, this isn't John Calvin, this isn't a Dutch Reformed confession, an English Reformed confession, but this is the very word of God that says, where Paul writes, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith, in Christ and not by works of the law. Works of the law can't save you. 
Because you can't do them perfectly. If you could do the works perfectly, then you wouldn't need a Savior. That's what Paul argues later here in Galatians. Where else does he discuss this? Ephesians 2. After he says that you were dead in your sins and trespasses. He says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our sins and trespasses. Made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him. And seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And then verse 8. For by grace you have been saved. You may be asking Paul. How are we saved? He says this. Through faith. That's it. And how does he clarify that? Oh and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works. What's the reason, Paul? Why isn't it a result of works? So that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Meaning after you are saved, you do good works because you love Christ. If it was in our hands, if salvation, perseverance, sanctification were solely dependent on us, we wouldn't want to be saved in the first place. We would lose our salvation in a heartbeat. And we wouldn't even have faith to believe in God because we were dead in our sins and trespasses. And so as Pastor Florian has harped on uh, and talked about, know your scriptures. Uh, even if that means that you read a passage for an entire week to understand it, do it. There, there's no competition in the year to see who can make it through their Bible reading plan. Uh, if you don't get it done in the year, it's fine. There's nowhere in the Bible where you have to do the things in order to be saved. If you're confused on a topic, read Scripture. If you're confused on the same topic, after you read it, pray to the Lord. If you're still confused on it, look at what other people have said about the topic and read it for yourself again. This is, again, God read. This is the very word of God. It equips us for every good work. It rebukes us. It challenges us. It's hard for us to understand it, but it breaks that sinfulness that we have in us and opens our heart and minds to see the wonderful things that the Lord has for us. So again, hold fast to the scriptures. Do not allow something like the doctrine of justification to be challenged to an effect where it denounces what Christ has done for you. And with that, let us pray. <clears throat> Most glorious Father, Lord, we thank you for the gift of grace that you have given us. Lord, we were a people not seeking after you. We were a people that hated you. We were a people that were dead in our sins and trespasses. Yet, Lord, out of your mercy, out of your grace, out of your loving kindness, and out of Christ's faithfulness, his obedience unto death, Lord, you saved us. You saved us not because of anything foreseen in us, not because of any works that we will do, Lord, but you did it out of your good treasure of love, grace, faithfulness, kindness, Lord, who you are as our God, you did so. 
And Father, we thank you for the privilege to be adopted into your family, uh, to be sons, as you say in your scriptures. Not that there are uh, no women in uh, your saving plan, Lord, but to be reminded that the firstborn son was given all the heir and, uh, and privileges of the Father's kingdom. And so also, you have given neither Jew nor Gentile, neither male nor female, neither slave nor free man, uh, the same gift to be adopted and declared righteous because of what Christ has done for us. Lord, thank you for this refreshing time in the retreat. Thank you for allowing us to open your scripture more deeply, to sing praises to you, to enjoy one another's fellowship. Lord, I ask that you keep us safe um, as we travel back to our homes or wherever we are headed next. And Lord, that you would also prepare our hearts and our minds for your Sabbath. That you would give us that grace and that peace to rest upon uh, the finished work of Christ on your Lord's day. And Lord, to remember the promises that are given in Jesus, which are yes and amen. Lord, we thank